your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and so I didn't know that I was going to be a surprise for you people, that um, maybe we wouldn't have showed up had you known what the surprise was going to be, but I'm glad you're here, and today my intent, I'll just tell you from the get-go, I told your pastor, I don't feel like a guest speaker when I come here anymore, I feel like part of the church family. And uh, maybe you make everybody feel that way, and that's, that's good too. But I'm going to take liberty today that I would not necessarily do in most churches that I go in. I'm going to teach, preach today like a pastor would to his people. And because uh, next week you're going to have revival services with Arby Willette, and you're going to get tore up. And so that's next week, okay? That's revival services. And I can do that too. I mean, that's what a revivalist is supposed to do. He's supposed to come in and stir things up because we all get kind of in a, in a rut. You know what I mean? I mean, you're in church, but you get in a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a grave with the ends kicked out. So, you know, every now and then you've got to have that thing stirred up. Well, Lori and I, we have a little place over in Fort Myers, and we are spending the winter down here this year. And so that's why it's convenient for your pastor to invite us over. It's just a couple-hour drive. And... We're getting acclimated to um, the culture here in Florida, and, uh, and I've picked up a cold already, and, uh, and today's a good day pretty much, uh, but there is a little green thing working in here, and so you people might be in danger if I get all excited here, okay, so you might, <laughs> you might need that, but you know, you have a culture down here. I went into Costco a week ago, and I have never had to wait in line to use the men's restroom before. But in Costco, I had to wait in line. And some man was complaining about how many people there were in Costco. And finally I said, all you northerners down here, if you just go back home, it wouldn't be so congested. Hallelujah. And I'm a northerner, but they didn't know that. I just got there before them. And so uh, you have a whole different culture down here. You have a lot of old people. I mean, a lot of old people. I know young people think I'm old, but I'm the young people to old people. Does that make sense? Because when I talk about being old, young people know what I'm talking about. The old people in my church say, oh, you're not young, you're just a kid. Well, 65 years old, I'm on Medicare now, hallelujah. I made it. And so I'm in that category. And you have a, And so old people, they do things different. And you guys have so many different things. I've learned they have even... Uh, different hymnals for old people. Here, here, are some of the, here are some of the hymns that I've heard old people sing. They sing, Just a Slower Walk with Thee. <laughs> they sing, It is well with my soul, but my knees really hurt. Nobody knows the trouble I have seen. Precious Lord, take my hand and help me up. Count your many birthdays. Name them one by one. Give me that old-timer's religion. Blessed insurance. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm learning all kinds of things. And old people have different ways of texting down here. It, for me, I was just learning all the, uh, the abbreviations that normal people text with. But old people, they have different abbreviations, like ATD. That means at the doctor's office. BTW, that means 
bring the wheelchair. Um, BYOT, bring your own teeth. Uh, I'm still learning all of these. And so what an adventure. I think it's funny for me to drive down the highway and I swear there's, it's like a robot driving the car because there is nobody driving the car in front of me. But all I see is two little hands up on the steering wheel. And as I go by, here's this little old lady. She's down in her seat. She can't even see. It's incredible. Well, you guys live here. I'm just, uh, all this is new to me. And so it's, um, it's an adjustment. But boy, for the warm weather, I'll take it. This Wednesday in Chicago, we were supposed to go home for a business meeting. I just canceled it. The high Wednesday, the high Wednesday is supposed to be a minus 16. That's the high. And so I just felt that the Lord would have me stay here and to cancel that meeting. How many have found 2 Timothy? I've been giving you a little time to find 2 Timothy. All there, and we get out. What time, brother, did you say? Quarter after, I think, is what he said. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, if you know anything about these epistles to Timothy, Timothy was a special young man to the Apostle Paul. Paul is writing the letter. He's writing to the young preacher boy, Timothy. And Paul calls Timothy, my son in the faith. And there's no mention of Paul's earthly family in scriptures, but there's a lot of discussion and a lot of material about his heavenly family. And Timothy is right there at the very top of that list. And I'm quite certain today that they were close, not because Timothy had a lot to offer the Apostle Paul. I don't think the scripture would even hint for a moment, in fact, just almost the opposite, that Timothy didn't have a lot of money. It wasn't like Paul was going to benefit from the financial backing of Timothy. They, they certainly were not socially of the same cloth. They were not um, brought together because of physical entertainment that they enjoyed together. But Paul loved Timothy because Timothy loved the same God that Paul did. Paul loved Timothy because Timothy loved the same work that Paul loved. And for the Apostle Paul, everything was about Jesus Christ. Did he not say, for me to live is Christ And his whole life was about the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. And the people that were closest to him were people that also loved Jesus Christ. You know, I find that so often in the church. So many churches I've heard, I've heard when I'm guests and sometimes people open up to us a little bit and and back home even in our church over the last 43 years, I've heard people say, Well, I'm not in the upper echelon in the church. I'm not in the money crowd of the church. I'm not in the uh, people that get to run with the pastor group. I'm not in, and those people often think that there are cliques in the church. When in reality, the old 
uh, saying is so true. Birds of a feather flock together. Are you with me? Did Jesus not have many followers? The Bible says multitudes followed him. But the group got smaller and smaller. At one time, there was a group of 70. And then most of us are very familiar, even by name, of 12 that were extra close to the Lord Jesus. And even within that group, there was a group of an inner circle, if you please, of three. And even within that little intimate group, one was known as the beloved disciple. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Let me ask you, class, does not Jesus love everybody? And yet there was one that felt like he was God's pet. He probably thought that up in the celestial city that on God's refrigerator, his picture was on the refrigerator. When he said, the beloved disciple, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. Do you know what that tells me? It wasn't that Jesus loved John the most, but rather John loved Jesus the most. Are you with me? When the Apostle Paul, when he grew close to Timothy, it wasn't because Paul necessarily sought him out because the scriptures is very very well documented. He sought to be with anybody and everybody. And it, were the, it was those that had problems with doctrine and God that they would shun themselves or distance themselves from Paul. And so it is in the church of the living God. This isn't to be a slight. It's not a profiling statement. But you will find pockets of people in the church, and generally speaking, birds of a feather flock together. And we tend to gravitate towards people that are of the same spirit as we are. And when you are sold out to Jesus Christ, yes, you'll be friends with everybody, but the people that you want to be with the most are people also that love Jesus. You don't want to be around a negative person that's going to weigh you down. Yes, you'll reach out to them. Yes, you'll care for them. Yes, you'll minister to them. But the time that you want to spend the most with will be people that by faith are trusting and serving Jesus Christ. And that's the case with Paul and Timothy here. And so today I'm going to read just one verse of Scripture. Did I tell you to turn to 1 Timothy 2? Let me change my mind. I lived with women my whole life. I had one wife and five daughters born in five years, and so I've lived in a girl's dormitory my whole life, and, and so I picked up some of their uh, practices. I'm going to change my mind, okay? Let's go to 2 Timothy. What that is is a cover-up that I made a mistake. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2. Sound man, would you turn me off for a minute? I got a cough real good. <coughs> I'm so sorry, folks. Okay, 2 Timothy 2. See, if I were a guest speaker, I wouldn't cough. I'd be perfect. But today I'm church family with you guys, so you're going to just get the raw material. 
2 Timothy 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And I want to look at just two words at the end of that verse. Teach others. I'm going to teach this morning for a little bit. And you're going to say, as some might think, well, this is the wrong crowd to be teaching this. We're here. How about the others that will be coming in later? How about those tonight? I want to teach this morning a lesson on the priceless value of Sunday school. Are you with me? I hope by the time we're done, you can see the incredible, the priceless value of Sunday school. In most fundamental, independent, narrow-minded, King James-only, red-letter edition Baptist churches, people think Sunday school is just for the elite of the church or for people that get up early in the morning and don't know what else to do with their day. And some people think it's one of the three services that's offered in the church. And so they'll hit one out of the three. Am I speaking the truth uh, for most churches? I would think that seems to be the case because generally, which attendance is the biggest attendance uh, of your church services? Sunday morning worship. Sunday night, no. Sunday nights, you don't have near what you have Sunday morning usually. My dad used to get up and say, Sunday nights are my favorite service of the week. I can't figure out why people don't come. In my younger years, I said things that I probably shouldn't have said. But I remember getting up one Sunday night and said, you know, my dad said, Sunday nights are so good and he doesn't understand why Sunday nights are so good. I think I got an explanation. Thomas isn't here. Judas isn't here. But Jesus shows up. So if you get the Judases and the Thomases out of church, you can have a really good service. Hallelujah. I thought that was funny. <laughs> it didn't go over real well. <laughs> Especially the Judas and Thomas. Hallelujah. Sunday morning worship service is generally your biggest service. And I'm not just talking to visitors. I'm talking about the church membership as a whole. Sunday school is often thought of in the mindset for children. But I want to teach you today why Sunday school is so valuable, not just for children, but for the entire church body. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to teach this lesson today. And I pray it will be a blessing to these dear people. Thank you for the reception we receive every time we come. Help me overcome the weakness of the flesh today and let it not be a distraction to the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me remind you of a story that took place in 1952. It was early in the morning, July the 4th, when most people were preparing for a big patriotic day. A 34-year-old woman, Florence Chadwick, attempted to swim the 21-mile strait between Canalina Island and the coast of California. She had already successfully 
swam the English Channel several times. And the English Channel is also very cold. And so she trained and was well prepared to swim from Canalina into the coast of California. And after 15 grueling hours, despite the encouragement that she received from the two boats that were accompanying her for her safety's sake and documenting this historic swim, she quit. And she was taken aboard and brought into shore. She quit one half mile from shore. And after she was warmed up and dried off and hydrated, she faced the media and one reporter asked, what happened? You were a half mile from shore. You couldn't make it a half mile further. And she said, quote, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could, if I could have seen the shore, I might have made it. You see, the fog that morning was so thick, she, in essence, was swimming without seeing any land. She quit because she could not see her goal. A few months later, she made a second attempt, and it was just as foggy and just as cold, but she made the 21-mile swim. And when the reporters questioned her again, she said... Well, this time, I could not see the shore, but the shore was in my heart. And to me, there seems to be a, a thick fog around some of the practices that we have in our fundamental churches. And one of them is Sunday school. Do we want to have Sunday school, or should we just cancel Sunday school? Do we want Sunday school? I asked my church that, and, and most of the people, absolutely, we want Sunday school. Even those that don't attend Sunday school will say, yes, we ought to have Sunday school. We're a Baptist church, and Baptist churches have Sunday school, hallelujah. Well, it's not for a lack of desire, but I believe for a lack of vision of why we should have Sunday school. And if your Sunday school is going to grow, it's going to require two things. In fact, if anything's going to grow, it's got to have two things. Number one, change. When you're growing, you're constantly changing. For you parents, you know how it is. Children just constantly grow. That's why we had five kids in five years. What's the sense in buying clothing for one kid and then that throw, them at, throw it away. We just had hand-me-downs for five years and our baby looked like a, a poor child by the time she got the clothings and she was in rags. People felt sorry for her and bought her more clothes. So you can't lose. Have more kids. That's the message that needs to get out. But you know what I'm talking about. You see kids grow and then teenagers, oh my word, it seems like every meal they grow another inch. Things constantly change when you grow. And you know, most, especially us old people, we don't like things to change. It's fearful. We want to we wanna understand where things are at, and we don't like 
a lot of change. And quite frankly, old people can actually be an anchor that slows the growth of a church because they're thinking of church for themselves. Now stay with me because I'm going to help all this. If you're going to grow, it will require change. And it's going to require commitment. Commitment is not realized until personal convenience is jeopardized. Everybody says, yes, I'm committed until, until it's inconvenient. And then, well, I didn't sign up for that. I'm committed as long as it's convenient. That's not commitment. That kind of commitment won't work in a marriage. That commitment won't work in a military uh, platoon. I mean, commitment means there's a lot of inconvenience along the way. And if there's going to be growth, there's got to be change, and there's got to be commitment. I believe Sunday school still works today. You go to the average mega church today, and you know what they emphasize? Small groups. And so they'll cancel Sunday night church so that people can have small groups in the home. I'm not knocking that. I'm just stating facts, okay? Stay with me. They cancel Sunday night church so they can have um, small groups meeting in homes. They'll cancel Wednesday night services so they can have small groups in people's homes. Is there anything wrong with meeting in small groups, teaching and preaching God's word? No, absolutely not. But I suggest to you, Sunday school is an incredible method for small groups to be done right. Every preacher will tell you, small groups can actually hurt a church rather than help a church. That's where division can find fertile soil. And some of you know whereof I speak. And then you have a guy that doesn't know the scriptures, but he starts teaching false doctrine. And there's no, there's no control, and nobody likes that word today either. There's no control. By the way, if you're an overseer of a church, which a pastor is, you know what part of our job is? To control to control the activity of what's going on. Why? For the protection of God's people. We're not control freaks. But at the same time, God has given us instructions on how to maintain integrity within the church of the living God. And it never affects those that are obedient to the word of God. It always offends the scorner. And quite frankly, if you read Proverbs, there's no hope for a scorner. They may be able to quote 300 verses of Scripture and give a lot of money to the church. But if they're scorners, they're never wrong. And they can never seemingly come to the knowledge of truth. Paul says they're ever learning, but never come to the knowledge of truth. You've got to have someone that's an overseer and watching 
in a home, mom and dad do the same thing. Do you think they like spanking children? Of course not. But they're doing that in a loving way to help protect their children. They set up rules within the family. Why? For the protection of their children. They're trying to help them. Now, can parental authority be abused? Absolutely. And it has been. But that doesn't mean you throw out all parental authority because of a few guilty ones. Does that make sense? So it is in the church of the living God. I believe Sunday school still works. And young people today, and and I counsel a lot of young preachers, and uh, they they feel very comfortable being very transparent with me, and I let them go. They'll say, you know, Sunday school, it's, it's a dinosaur. It's out. It just doesn't work. I said, be careful when you start. He said, you know, that's just old, they call it old school religion. Well, you know, kissing's old school. Hugging is old school. Uh, Stop that for a couple months. See how that works for your marriage. Be careful what you throw out just because it's been around a long time. If you're not careful, you're going to be throwing out preaching, and they have. You're going to throw out services of the church, and they have. You're going to throw out soul winning, and they have. You're going to throw out discipleship, and many have. Are you with me? If you're not careful, just because it's been around a long time doesn't mean that it's still not relevant for today. Air has been around a long time. Try cutting yourself out from that. I'm just saying, just because it's old doesn't mean that it's not for today. Well, let me hurry up. Let me give you six reasons if you're jotting these down, and I'll, I'll go quickly. Number one, Sunday school expresses the church's DNA. Part of not feeling well is you talk a little slower and a little longer, so i got to speed this up. We're on the clock. Number one, it expresses the church's DNA. Your church's mission statement, I don't know what it is, but I know your pastor. And he is a biblicist, meaning he believes the Bible is the final authority for the church, for the family, and really it should be for America. But for the church and family, it is the final authority, and really for the soul of man. Your church's mission statement is summarized in seven words. Make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're in business for. We're not in business for praise and worship, even though we praise and worship. We're in business to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. When we get to heaven, we're going to keep on praising and worshiping God. It's what believers do. But as a church, we won't be making disciples anymore. Are you with me? God started his church here for a purpose, and that is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew 28 through 20, or 18 through 20. It starts with a personal conversion. It start, and then it's followed by public confession and baptism. And then it continues on for a progressive confirmation where we continue to grow to be like Jesus Christ. Lost people don't feel comfortable in a true worship service. You know why? What fellowship hath light and dark? They feel awkward in a church service unless a church 
changes a worship service to accommodate the fleshly desires of lost people. Does that make sense? But then we are violating what Scripture says. The church is a called-out assembly of believers. Now, we want unbelievers to come, but it's for believers. And so a church should entice, it should edify believers. It'd be like you going to a Hindu temple. Do you think they're going to change their worship service because you're there to make you feel comfortable? No, they're going to say, this is how we worship. Now, if you have an interest in that, you study up and you think, you know, I'd like to be in one of those, then you'll fall in line with them. They're not going to fall in line with you. But so many of our churches today think, well, we've got to fall in line with the world to make them feel comfortable. No, 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 no. The church is for believers. Sunday school is like the entryway to church. Are you with me? When you bring people into Sunday school, they'll feel more comfortable because, number one, they're with a friend. It's more personal, less formal. Small groups allow conversation, allow questions to be asked. And so Sunday school expresses the church's DNA. Number two, the, the mission is accomplished best in small groups. You can't, one man can't lead two million people. Moses learned that the hard way. And so his father-in-law came up with an idea. He said in Exodus 18, why don't you divide the, the whole nation into companies and assign leaders over groups and over groups and, and delegate that out. And you just handle the major matters. And so it is in the church of the living God. As you continue to grow, Brother Keeley, everybody wants a piece of Brother Keeley because you love that man. But if you're going to grow, he's going to delegate some of those responsibilities out to those that mature in Christ and show leadership capabilities so that he can put his attention on the very thing a preacher is called to do. What's that? Pray and preach. You say, well, that's, that's easy. Try it sometime. My dad used to say, prayer is the hardest work I know. If you're going to get a hold of heaven, it's more than just praying through a prayer list for 20 minutes and you're done. Jesus prayed on the eve of his crucifixion and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Now that's praying. And a preacher today, too many preachers are actually neglecting the very work they're called to do. And they're preaching messages off internet and in the power of the flesh based on their personality. And no life change is happening in our churches today. And that's why our churches are very impotent, without power, without influence in our nation today. The mission is accomplished best in small groups. If you remember Ezra and, uh, or Nehemiah in Ezra chapter 8, he stood and preached. He, all he did was read the Bible. And, and they stood and they listened to him reading the Bible for a half a day, for hours. They didn't have chairs. They stood and listened. Boy, today, if you go over an hour, people are tapping their watch and 
Then they're pulling out the calendars. Man, do you realize what day of the week? They stood for hours. You know why? They were hungry for the Word of God. But then after they heard it read, he divided it up in group. There were 13 men that taught them what the scriptures meant. Why? Small groups allow interaction, allow people to get their questions answered. Luke chapter 9, you remember when they fed the 5,000. They broke it up in company so that one man could minister to a smaller group. Thirdly, I've got to hurry. It equips saints to do ministry work. Your pastor is not your butler. I love my church, and people probably hate when I preach in their churches by how much I talk about our church back home. I love our church. We have um, a lot of buildings, and we don't have a paid janitor. We have seven acres of property. We don't pay a maintenance crew to take care of it. In fact, the building that we worship in now, our people built themselves. And, I mean, I told them, I said, we're going, we're going at this. At, now, it'll take longer. We'll probably hate each other by the time it's done. And, uh, and I was right on both, both statements. <laughs> I mean, when you work with a guy every night after when you've worked at a full day of work and then you go work at the church with some bozo that doesn't know what he's doing and you do that night after night, month after month after week, we were nearly ready to curse and get saved again just so we could have the thrill of cursing at someone. But I mean, it was a long, but you know what? They loved it and they grew closer together. I'm telling you, at our church, we have volunteers. Nearly every adult in our church is involved in some ministry of the church. When I say ministry, I'm talking about mowing grass, to changing diapers, to cleaning toilets, to being a deacon, being a Sunday school teacher. Every area has got to be covered by someone. Can I do it all? I have done it all. When we started the church, my dad started the church, I did everything. That's part of being a preacher's kid. And then when I came and worked for my dad, he cleaned the upstairs, I cleaned the downstairs. My dad was a perfectionist. That's why he couldn't have anyone clean the building. Had to be a certain way right down the line. I knew all that stuff. And so, covertly, I got people to clean my part of the building and didn't tell them. And I asked him, I said, Dad, have I slipped on my part of the building? Does it look good? Oh, man, Bruce, you're doing a great job. Perfect. As good as I could do it. I said, well, could I, would you be offended if I told you I haven't been doing it? I had others doing it. Dad, there's people that want to help. They can't preach like you. They can't teach like you. But they want to do something for the work of the ministry. And finally, he gave up all the cleaning in the building except for two toilets to the day he died. He said, Bruce, it's therapy for me. I've got to do something. Well, I understand. I took my day off to mow the ball field. Felt like if we can get volunteers in the church to do the work of the Lord, I can take a little time on my time to volunteer to do the work of the Lord as well. I'm just saying, folks, saints are to be taught how to do the work of the ministry. That's what Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 is. And I've got to hustle here. Number four, it develops church leadership. 
it develops church leadership. I think in our church of how many Awana leaders and discipleship teachers and altar counselors and evangelism trainers and the workers that we have, and most of them came out of Sunday school classes that were taught. Because I can say things in a Sunday school class like I am today that I won't say in church. I have a different group of people here. Does that make sense? Uh, I, can, I can open up a little bit more and put blue jeans on the scripture if I can say it that way. Otherwise, tell you what this, what this Bible looks like in our life and, and how we that love our church, how we can help our church. Because I find that most church members want to help their church. And most members feel like they can't really do a whole lot. They can give, give an extra dollar when there's a financial need or uh, they can be here and, and that's, that's certainly greatly appreciated. But most church members want to grow they want to do a little more. They're, they're not ready to stand behind the pulpit per se, but is there, can I take another step? And Sunday school allows you to get a vision of what can and should be done, and it develops leadership. When I look at the Awana workers in our church, which is a microcosm within a church, it's like a church within a church, some of the, the leaders were in our college class 15, 20 years ago when they were being taught how to be leaders. In the young marriage class that we taught, they are the leaders of our church today. It develops leadership. I think of uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Remember Apollos? He was brilliant. He was a brilliant, gifted speaker. And yet a husband and wife invited him over and they worked with him and taught him the scriptures and church doctrine to where he would be more effective in his leadership role. Fifthly, it turns good intentions into involvement. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, Preacher, I'm going to get involved when I get around to it. You know, and I, I've always wanted to get a piece of paper that says round T-U-I-T. They did? Like I wouldn't, I need to get some of those. People, I'm, I'm going to get around to it. And I'd like to pull one out and hand it to them. Here's a round to it. So get to it. <laughs> Do it. When people, have you ever heard someone say, you, you tell them, you know, you need to do such and such, and you hear people say, I was just thinking of that. Or I was, I was just going to say that. You know what they mean? They weren't just then and there thinking of it. They weren't. Maybe one in a hundred times. What they mean is, I have thought about it numerous times, but I've never done anything about it. But now that you brought it up, I'm in full agreement with you. Something needs to be done. You remember the old story, I like this story, about everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Let me read it to you. There are four church members named everybody, somebody, anybody, nobody. 
there was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Sunday school helps us develop that and find workers. Sixthly, it keeps a church small. You know, we have people in our church back home, and most of them are older. They don't want the church to grow. You know why? They don't, they don't want to lose their spot. They, if we get someone with a little more intelligence or a little more gifts or a little more, they're going to get more attention than I get. And so they've already backslid a little bit in their Christian life because they're there for the attention of the pastor or certain people. But in reality, we ought to be here for his attention. Are you with me? And we all fall into that, myself included. We're all made of the same stuff. But we have to be reminded of that every now and then. Sunday school allows the church to remain small. You can have a church, I think of Paul Chapel out in California, in thousands. How do they have such a warm church? Because of their Sunday school. That's where relationships are built. That's where ministries are, are formed and, and fueled and, and manned. Sunday school. We have people in our, our church, like yours, we have an auditorium. We set up 454 chairs like this every Sunday. Every week. Sunday night when church is over, it's like a machine. When I have a guest preacher, they can't believe it. I'm fellowshipping with them. And yet it's like an army. You got, uh, you got a general, of course, and captains, and, and they're in there stacking chairs, wheeling them out into the storage room behind the auditorium. They're getting set up for the youth activities of the week where we have Awanas and Friday night basketball and teen activities, and we use our building all week long. And then we set it up for Sunday, for Sunday church. We put up brown vinyl, I call them bags, but they're drapes so that it protects the walls and protects the platform, and in my mind, so that when, when kids come in to play, they're not playing in church. They're playing in an ugly brown bag room. Because Sunday, if they run in this room, the preacher's going to say, knock it off. We don't run in church. But it's the very same room that they ran in circles during the week. Does that make sense? So for me, it's a visual thing as well, an atmosphere, but it protects the walls and the platform where all the piano and all the expensive stuff is as well. We do that every week. That's a lot of work, week after week after week. And not one time have we handed out awards or sent gift cards or even 
had a banquet for those men that set up week after week after week. Say, how many years have you been doing it? About 25 years. You've got to have people that are committed, first of all, to the Lord. And then to love their church. To be willing to work like that week after week after week. Now you think about it. If those men started when they were 40 in the prime of their life, they're 65 today. And they're still doing it. It's one thing to volunteer for one night or even one year. But when it becomes a life commitment, that's character that's not seen in a lot of our churches today. But that's developed in Sunday school. And that's why I would suggest to you, develop your Sunday school class. Learn to study the Word together. Chat about it. Talk about it. Ask questions. Build your Sunday school because it's the entry level for lost people to come here, feel accepted and loved, learn the scriptures so that they can be converted to Christ and actually enjoy a believer's worship service. Does that make sense? I've covered way too much in too short of a time, but I hope you got enough to help you to number one, Love what Sunday school is for. Number two, let's build this thing. You, you don't want to remain the same size for the next 20 years. And you know what's going to require? From this group to be faithful. If I have a word that describes the members of, of most of my church, and there's a lot of great complimentary adjectives that I could rightly give them. But one is faithfulness. Just they keep plugging along. And they've been with us, Lori and I, since we were kids. We were 23 years old when we went there. And a lot of them, we won to Christ. Most, in fact, nearly half of them, discipled them, trained them, taught them. We were teaching young marrieds, and we didn't even know what we were doing. We were young marrieds. We told them how to raise their kids. We, we didn't know. We just started having kids every year ourselves. But you know what Sunday school does? It allows us to study the Bible together. Let's work this out. What can we learn? You got a testimony? You got a testimony how this works? It helps all of us to grow together. Sunday school will help build your church if you do it right. Okay, thanks for listening. Pray that my voice gets better for the next hour because I want to yell a little bit. And then tonight, I'm saving my sermon sermon for tonight. But I knew I'd have my biggest crowd next hour. And I got a few things I want to speak to the church as a whole from a pastor's heart. Now, if I were here for revival next week, I wouldn't talk like this. I'd just come in with my gospel machine gun and shoot y'all down there. That's what evangelists do, you know. But I want to I want to talk to you as a pastor today, and I hope it'll be a blessing. Okay, you got about eight minutes.